Hello, welcome everybody to LabUp Scientific 11 Minutes with uh, my name is Bart van Buchem. I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist um, living in the Netherlands. And here with me today is Jo Nijs from Brussels. Uh, great to have you um, today, Jo. Um, jo is um, a full-time professor at the University of Brussels and a visiting professor at the University of Gothenburg. <laughs> and physio-maniotherapist, manual therapist in the hospital of Brussels, which makes an interesting combination. We just talked about it. Thank you for joining me, Jo. Thank you for having me, Bart. Um, as, as people would expect from this podcast and videocast is that we, um, we will dive into your what, what excites you the most and I will fire that. Uh, question um, very soon, um, but just let me let me tell everyone. It's really nice to have Yo on 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 this podcast because I think um, in 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 the work you've been doing over the last I think two decades almost. Uh, uh, it must be yeah, it must be two decades. Um, I think it, many people know your work, um, but I also think they only know your work and not knowing you are also a practicing physiotherapist, manual therapist, uh, although it's um, only um, a day a week, but I think it's very interesting and it's a very good to know that that is happening. And I, I bet you enjoying that. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do more clinical work, but uh, uh, apparently that's not why the university pays me. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it and uh, it, it inspires uh, the science that we bring and, and it also allows us to, to reflect on, on how we can implement scientific findings in the clinic. So it, it, it works two directions. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a lot of fun and it, uh, it's a nice combination. It makes totally sense. Yes. So let's get to the question right now. So uh, you know, what, is, what is exciting you at the moment in your work? Well, uh, it might uh, be a little bit surprising uh, talking just a minute about uh, working in the clinic, but what excites me the most uh, is, is the, the work that we're doing on, on epigenetics in, in the field of, of chronic pain, uh, which is a bit surprising uh, in, in relation to the clinical aspects, because that's probably the part of the work that we are doing, which is up to now the farthest away from, from clinical uh, applications. But um, we've been doing uh, some, some epigenetic studies in, in patients with chronic pain for uh, a couple of years now. And uh, it's, it's developing well and nicely. It's clear that we have much to learn about epigenetics uh, in, in the field of chronic pain, but for sure it's, a, it's an exciting area and potentially also very, very relevant for clinical practice. Because in, in general, of course, we, we always try to, to, to link um, clinical studies, treatment studies, testing new studies to also understanding what we are actually doing at a physiological level using brain imaging, using psychophysiological testings, et cetera, blood analysis, et cetera. Uh, but in that respect, the field of epigenetics, it, it, it somehow adds a new layer of understanding the human body in general. Uh, so it, it, it somehow connects different aspects of our understanding. And that's why I think it's so, it's so exciting. And for those not really 
really uh, in the field of epigenetics of unaware of what it actually is. It, it relates to all the changes throughout life that are not you know, really affecting uh, our DNA, DNA in itself, but are affecting the epigenome. Uh, and it, it relates to all the environmental and lifestyle aspects that our human body is exposed to throughout loud, uh, life, which is, is changing, it, which is somehow adding some paper clips on top of our uh, genes and therefore allowing certain genes to become activated or deactivated. And this way, all those environmental and uh, lifestyle factors actually uh, change the way our genome works in our human body and, and, and somehow determines which genes become more expressed and which genes become less expressed or silenced, if you can uh, label it that way. So, so for people who we're hearing for the first time about epigenetics. What is what is used to be known about genetics or epigenetics? Why is it a new thing? And well, it's, it's a new thing. Yeah. The, well, when I when I started to study uh, molecular biology to be able to understand epigenetics, I, I started reading in in books that um, that students who are following. Uh, a, uh, who are studying biomedical sciences at the university nowadays get in their first or second year. And that, that was to me very, um, uh, of course, uh, very uh, surprising. And, and uh, because then I looked at the science and, and, and then I realized, okay, when I was at the university, that science wasn't available at all. There wasn't such thing as, uh, as, as a field of epigenetic research. So it's, it's, it's fairly new in, in that respect. And it has developed quite well, for instance, in the field of cancer research, but in the field of uh, chronic pain, it's still in its uh, infancy. So there's much to learn about all the epigenetic changes that potentially uh, explain why some people end up uh, becoming uh, a patient with chronic pain and how this links with uh, so many lifestyle and, and environmental factors. And the, the work that has been done in the field of chronic pain also uh, shows very promising results. So there, there's much to learn from it. And potentially this can allow us in the future to, to, to somehow tailor our intervention much better as we are currently doing. Uh, and and uh, this, this potentially is, is the step to, or the, the necessary step to, to develop towards precision medicine for, for patients with chronic pain. Yeah. Do you feel like the epigenetic and the field of research is um, help, well, potentially helping the clinical work rather than the, let's say, the medicine world? Yeah, pharmacological uh, that's, interventions. That's a very relevant question. Um, well, uh, we don't know yet, and and hopefully it can uh, help both. Uh, for instance, we know that um, from 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 one epigenetic study, we know that if you uh, to, if if you 
if you give, provide opioid drugs to, to post-operative, uh, post-surgical patients, it takes only three to four days uh, to, to see epigenetic changes in one of the opioid receptor genes, which uh, is the epigenetic change uh, in that opioid receptor gene that is linked to the opioid hyperalgesia. And uh, of course, those kind of things uh, potentially are very, very relevant for, for a pharmacology Ecology, um, field in, in general, I agree, but uh, in, in relation to the uh, observations that, that partly have been done, uh, partly are ongoing uh, in, in linking lifestyle factors to, um, to epigenetic changes in chronic pain, this of course can of course be the more fundamental basis for validating and further developing and further tailoring lifestyle interventions uh, for patients with chronic pain. And this potentially also somehow upgrades those interventions like for, for more biomedically uh, thinking people, lifestyle interventions probably is kind of soft science uh, thing. Well, when you link it to, uh, of course, uh, the field of epigenetic and, and you can show that certain lifestyle factors that actually are able to switch on and switch off uh, certain genes that are of primary relevance to that particular lifestyle factors, then of course it becomes uh, much more than just soft science, then it becomes uh, uh, nearly mm -hmm. basic science. So I think that's that's uh, potentially very relevant for both pharmacology and uh, conservative interventions for the field of chronic pain. Yeah. So how does how does research or how does researching epigenetics looks like? Well, it looks like um, uh, well studying uh, the the epigenetic mechanisms in general uh, in the human body. That's that's the first thing uh, that that you do before generating the hypothesis. Looking at uh, particular epigenetic changes that have been observed in relation to certain environmental of uh, or uh, lifestyle factors, and then exploring whether they are of potential relevance to the field of chronic pain. For instance, uh, there is um, a vast amount of literature showing that uh, poor sleep and sleep problems actually changes several lines of uh, 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 of, of, of uh, gene functions uh, in, in terms of that, that uh, poor sleep actually uh, triggers uh, certain epigenetic changes in genes that are of relevance for um, several aspects of the immune system. And uh, this is, of course, uh, potentially explaining why uh, we have a depressed or a more older uh, uh, immune system if we have sleep problems. And of course, the next step is then also looking, is this also true for people with chronic pain, at least a subgroup of the chronic pain population, which is all, um, approximately 50% who also has severe sleep problems like insomnia. And then of course, the next step on top of that is to see, okay, if we provide effective sleep uh, uh, treatment like cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, the, the best evidence sleep uh, uh, treatment for people with sleep problems or insomnia in particular in general, but also probably for people with chronic pain in and insomnia. If we provide such treatment, does it actually uh, 
erase those epigenetic changes or changes those, those epigenetic changes in a positive way, allowing the immune system to function better afterwards. And of course, we used to do before the field of epigenetic was, uh, epigenetics was available, what we did, we then, we then could, of course, also study the immune system before and after treatment. But now, of course, this adds a, a particular uh, a new layer of understanding of how the body responds to certain treatments and how it responds to certain lifestyle changes. So that I think is uh, really exciting because yeah, it, it, it opens new uh, treatment avenues and it uh, allows us to understand much better the, the way the human body functions. Would, would that be a typical lifestyle factor that would be an interest of you as a, as a clinician? Would it be more an interest as me? So like, is sleep, for example, more important than dietary or, um, or other lifestyle factors you could um, make, yeah. uh, take, take on board as part of your treatment plan? Yeah. I think uh, the the ones you you have just mentioned are, are very or potentially are very very relevant, and I wouldn't say that one is more important than the other. I think sleep has been studied more thoroughly right now in the field of chronic pain as compared to um, uh, nutritional aspects, but potentially both are. Uh, equally relevant. And I think it depends on each different patient. And that's also the fun part on, on, on seeing patients in the clinic, of course, then the, the first thing you do in during the intake, of course, is you do a thorough assessment of the patient. And then you, uh, you explore which of the relevant, potentially relevant fact, uh, lifestyle factors are appropriate to address and are problematic in that particular patient. And, and then you see that in many patients, there's no such thing as a sleep problem, while many other have severe sleep problems. I think when there is a severe sleep problem, then I think it's a key driver of central nervous system sensitization and all the other problems that patients with chronic pain are faced with. So in, in, when it's present, I think it's a major thing, uh, those sleep problems. But the same is probably true for uh, poor dietary habits. If uh, patients with chronic pain have poor dietary habit, it's a major thing we need to address. Similar, uh, uh, similar other uh, relevant lifestyle factors, of course, are physical inactivity, um, uh, stress intolerance. Uh, those are typical, very uh, important lifestyle factors. Would, you, um, would it be fair to say that some people are more sensitive to the, or within the epigenetic system, they, they have, oh, just let me phrase it differently. So if, if someone is likely or is having a bit bed dietary, they don't have exercise or they don't exercise at all. Um, they sleep very poor, but actually doing pretty good. Does that mean this person has very rigid epigenetics? So whatever you do, it doesn't affect them as much. And other people on the other end of the spectrum would do with it with a one day, let's say on a seven day routine, they only exercise one, like the six days instead of seven, and they going totally off the roof because they feel terrible and being really sensitized, as you said, it would, is there a sensitivity level? Would it exist within the epigenetic system? 
Well, yeah, the, the, the sensitivity of the nervous system is probably also um, somehow uh, influenced by um, epigenetic changes, for instance, in the brain-derived neurotrophic gene. That's one of the observations that Andrea Poli in, in our group has, has done, that there is an epigenetic change in the BDNF gene uh, that somehow links to central nervous system sensitization, at least in, in patients with uh, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome that, that we studied. And, and others have done uh, similar observations in, 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 in other uh, chronic pain populations, but uh, also that observation further needs to be confirmed. But uh, potentially, yes, uh, there are several. Uh, I just mentioned one um, gene, but uh, potentially... Uh, several genes are contributing to central nervous system sensitization. And then, of course, the, the, the field of epigenetic also potentially can explain why so many studies have shown that so many lifestyle factors relate to, to central nervous system sensitization. And, and with the two extreme examples that you give, you, you emphasize also a very important issue that uh, the, cent the central nervous system sensitization is actually a continuum and that uh, some people are on the extreme right part of the continuum while others are on the extreme left part on the continuum and, in, and probably in those patients it's not really necessary to to con even consider the, the central nervous system sensitization because probably in those patients it's not really an issue uh, but for sure we know that lifestyle factors are perpetuating factors of central nervous system sensitization and of course chronic pain in, in general. Mm. That, that makes sense. And would it be fair to say that if we're talking about um, resilience, in a, as a as a maybe it's a big word, but resilience is that is that what we mean? Is that epigenetics? Yeah, maybe I think bold, but potentially, of course, that's the fun part of epigenetics. Potentially, you can explain everything with with epigenetics. But like <laughs> said, the, the the field of epigenetics in in chronic pain uh, research is is still in its uh, infancy. So there's much work to be done. But of course, when you mention resilience, uh, I. I instantaneously think of stress and stress in intolerance and of course that's probably uh, narrowing it down uh, too much but i think it's it's for mm -hmm. sure it's it's relevant and and it's good that you mention it because i think still stress uh, the stress issue and stress management as an intervention is still uh, not uh, given enough to, to patients with chronic pain and it's still underused and also somehow push, pushed into kind of a soft science uh, field again. And I think that's, that's very unfortunate because uh, the, the stress system in, in general is primarily um, um, uh, uh, at least a, a, a neurobiological mechanism. So perhaps you should also consider uh, updating the explained pain book and, and, and emphasize even more the, the stress response systems because that also can be explained from a primarily biological viewpoint to, to, to make it less psychological for patients who are not open-minded to consider stress as a potential perpetuating factor for their disorder because they think they are strong and they're not, they're not up to seeing a psychologist. That's why they see a physio or a physician and they're not eager to to consider the, the the aspect of stress in their disorder. Yes. Well, would would it be fair to say then that um, you can change your epigenetics? 
Well, we hope that we that we will be able to show in the, the future that that uh, also conservative interventions, lifestyle interventions, are able to to improve and and make the epigenome more healthy in in a way that it uh, somehow shuts down certain genes or are over. Uh, productive in, in producing new proteins while we need to activate the more healthy genes and probably then the genes that are somehow allowing the nervous system to, to calm down. And, and in the field of epigenetics, it's called, it's, it's often labeled as a reprogramming the epigenetic landscape, for instance. That's what they call it. And, and that's a very attractive idea. And for sure, it's not only relevant, like you said, for conservative intervention, also for uh, pharmacological interventions, but uh, and also potentially for surgical interventions, for instance. But but yeah, that's that's the idea that we're working on, and uh, it's too early to to say that we're able to do so. But uh, yeah, in in other fields, uh, there is increasing evidence that that we're that we're able to do so. Which is interesting, and I've been thinking about: would it be a blood test, for example, that would be pre and post treatment as a part of the measurements in in maybe 20 or 30 years um, is likely yes for sure and in the field of, of oncology it's 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 done you know the the precision uh, medicine is has of course arrived for a long time now in the field of oncology and there are certain epigenetic markers actually determine the the, the treatment that certain um, uh, cancers receive and that's that's hopefully something we can also develop for the field of, of chronic pain but it's good that you mentioned that that it's uh, often a blood test because that limits also our interpretation because those epigenetic changes are very tissue specific and that's of course a problem when we want to study for instance the the nervous system sensitivity because the nurse studying epigenetic changes in the nervous system uh, in a 100% valid way requires that we actually take tissue from the nervous system if we do it in blood of course the blood is a perfect tissue to study for instance some stress-related hormones stress-related factors also the immune system can be studied 100% valid, of course, in the blood. But um, for other types of tissues, it's always a challenge because, of course, we know that those epigenetic changes are tissue-specific. That's also one of the reasons why the, the DNA, of course, is identical in our muscle cells versus our bone cells versus our skin cells. But, of course, why do does same DNA develops towards uh, skin cells versus muscle cells versus bone cells. That's because of those, uh, because certain genes are expressed in those cells more while others are silenced. So in that respect, it's, it's very tissue specific. Um, and and uh, that, that of course limits uh, in to some extent, of course, the, the field of epigenetics in general, not only in the field of chronic pain, but also limits how we can uh, progress it uh, in the upcoming years. Yes, that's very exciting. There's a lot to come. Uh, yeah, that's pretty clear. I had I had one more last question on this. It's a very specific one. Um, I just came up with. I think in in the diagnostics of pain, we we tend to differentiate with specific or non-specific generally, or you could say with let's say nerve damage or without nerve damage, and then in the within the um, 
within the spectrum of chronic pain, at least. Um, would you reckon that, would you feel like that there is already evidence that shows that epigenetics changes differently in people with non-specific pain than it happens with people with a, let's say, specific tissue injury, like a nerve injury? Uh, would you see that, is there already evidence for that? Yeah, relevant question. I, I haven't looked at the field of epigenetic research in, in that respect. So it's possible. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't think so. I don't recall any um, studies showing that uh, in a clear way. But, but for sure, we need to look more into literature to, to answer that question. But it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And that, of course, would also be very interesting to do, to, to study just the epigenome in, in, uh, in a group of patients who is characterized as, as more specific, uh, nociceptive-driven, inflammatory-driven type of pain versus neuropathic pain versus nociplastic pain. That, for sure, would be very interesting yeah. to do. Yeah, the reason that I'm asking you, I think there's this diagnostic uncertainty, but every chronic pain condition has been labeled as such as by signs and symptoms. And I was wondering whether a blood test in the future could differentiate more, especially because we know within neuropathic pain, there are typically these are very active molecules that are being um, triggered by the nerve injury, which be, seem to be more likely being part of a, like a, a traceable issue, if you like. Um, and, and it just makes sense, right? That you, if there is one type of chronic pain, you should be able to address in a, in a test like that, it would be, would yep. that be an epigenetic um, expression or a test would be helpful for that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. But again, that would of course require to, to, to study uh, the epigenome mm. in the peripheral or central nervous system tissue primarily, of course, that, that would be the first step, or at least we would require validation studies that, that looked at, uh, at both uh, the peripheral tissue versus the, the nervous system uh, tissue, because you expect that you primarily then find changes in the, in the nervous system. Yeah, which is uh, absolutely... In something for the future I, I, I think um by this conversation excites me about the, the knowing about epigenetics and it has educational value at the moment i guess is my summary um what i take away is it's very for some people it would be really for patient it would be really good to know that lifestyle factors also including effects on their uh epigenetics and therefore they could be more uh, putting them back at the driver's seat, so take control. Mm -hmm. Do your thing, take life child, uh, and, and affect your, try to change your, if you like your, um, um, your epigenetics or thing, sort of one, one of the reasons why you should look after yourself very well. Um, which, um, couldn't agree great. more. Um, Good. I think we're on the same page there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, th thank you for that. Um, I'm going to finish for, uh, for now. Uh, I think we have so much more to discuss and then um, we would love to see you in one of our expert sessions. If that's possible in the future, we will definitely ask him if he's got his time in his diary, we definitely pin him down. Um, thank you for, uh, for being with me, Yo. You're welcome. Very generous pleasure. Time. Uh, that was good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for watching and um, we'll see you next time.